Almighty God, who seest that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves, keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, so today uh, we're going to talk about the gospel, uh, which is um, sort, of, it's sort of an old English word, uh, which means the good news. Um, so hopefully anytime somebody's talking about the gospel, they're talking about the good news. You know, what's the news versus good advice or Sorry, there's like a fan blowing on my hair. Um, it's distracting. Um, what's the good news versus um, uh, something else that might be used to describe? Uh, um, what, the, the, what I want to say is the gospel can be used to describe uh, several things, though that's not always what people mean about the sort of, say, the gospel music is sort of a genre. Of, of music, but it might not necessarily mean the good news. There might be elements of gospel music that have the good news in it. Or people just might, sort of one of those religious terms that people might just sort of throw out there, you know, the go- that's gospel or whatever, and, and that's not, might not necessarily be what they mean. I'll be very clear about what we mean at the Advent when we talk about the gospel. And I can only cover so much of it in sort of half hour, 40 minutes. There's, so the, 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 the message is robust, but we'll get at, um, a, a few concepts that I think are at the at the heart of, of what we mean when we talk about the gospel, and, and one of which is about grace, um, the concept of grace being central uh, to the good news of Jesus Christ for us. And uh, if you are around the Advent for any length of time, you'll hear the word almost like every Sunday um, uh, because it's so important. And often when people think about the Advent, if they've been here for a while, a word that comes to mind to describe what the Advent's about is being a gospel-centered church. We just went through a a visioning process. We're in the midst of a visioning process. If you were in church earlier, you heard Andrew announce um, that we're having conversation groups around the vision. Um, We codified the the sort of identity statement and purpose statement of the Advent, and now we're working at some sort of deliverables that flow out of, of the identity so we're kind of two-thirds, three-quarters through the process, but we, we hammer it out. And it, I mean, just to give you a sense that these two sort of pithy statements took hours. Stephen, you were there. I mean, several meetings with 25 people to hammer this out. The nuance of it is real important. So that's at the top of your um, handout before the, the, the collect there is the Advent's uh, vision statements as a gospel-centered church. Well, who are we, first of all? The Advent is a church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single word was intentional, the fact that we're a church. We, we, we went back and forth about, should we say community or church? Uh, things like that. Should we say Advent or the Advent? You know, like, is it the club or the club, right? Um, the Advent is a, gos- is, a, is a church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ that not only do we believe this stuff, but we have a a daring confidence in it that's alive uh, in, in this day and age that not just to believe the thing, but to um, go to bat for it, you know, I mean, to be so confident, even at the pain of death. I mean, in some parts of the world, that's what people are facing that could come to Birmingham, you know, that we're that 
confident in this message. Well, if that's our identity, uh, why do we exist was the purpose statement. The Advent exists to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples wherever God has placed us. Um, so we exist to, to, to speak that message. You know, I teach and preach and so do the other clergy and leaders here so that you can speak this message as well. You know, not just for your, simply for your own edification, but so you can say it to your brother and sister and they can say it to you. Um, and then the flip side, the, the, not the flip side, but the other side of that uh, purpose statement is about discipleship. I won't get into that today, but you see how central um, the, 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 the topic of the gospel is to what the Advent thinks it is as a, as a church. And so that's why um, I want to talk to you about it today, but also because it's so important. You know, I mean, get, get, put all the institutional stuff aside. You know, I mean, what does this mean for you? Um, the uh, last class I talked about um, uh, human nature. If you were here, um, uh, what, what's the problem with people? Remember I said we've got to um, we've got to sort of dig the hole before we can fill it. And it seems often hopeless when you just uh, give that talk about human nature, but I tried to give you a, a glimpse of the hope, and today is about the hope. But just to remind you, if you weren't here, that often people think about in terms of our ability to connect with God as a sort of ascent to him. What do we need to do uh, to be in relationship with God? And you can often you can think about it as a ladder, you know, that we have to sort of climb the ladder to him, or maybe that we meet him sort of halfway. But the problem is that we are spiritually dead. Uh, and not only that, the, uh, the um, early church uh, theologian St. Augustine said we are curved in on ourselves. We're, we're both spiritually dead and we're navel-gazing. And how can a spiritually dead person who's navel-gazing even begin to climb the ladder? Uh, and so the, 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 the freeing uh, message is that actually God comes down to us 100% and makes us spiritually alive and begins to you know, lift our heads so we're not uh, curved in on ourselves anymore, um, that he came down the ladder. You know, remember the, 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 the Tower of Babel, which was a sort of ladder to, to the heavens, uh, and and uh, God saw what they were up to, and he uh, he said, "This is not going to work." And and he destroyed that um, that mission <laughs> um, because their efforts were in the wrong place. That actually they weren't even trying to ascend to God. Often when we think that we're doing um, our spiritual work, that there's some false idol on the on the other side. It's actually not the one uh, true God, who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's our humanity, you know, that we're that deeply flawed that actually I would go as far as to say that without uh, Jesus Christ, we are basically zombies. You know, we look like we're kind of walking around and drinking coffee, but I mean, so do zombies, you know, brains, <laughs> right? I mean, it, we're, we're operating in the world, so, um, but, but, uh, but we're, we're not alive in terms of uh, our relationship with God. So uh, the the passage that I really hammered out last time was from Romans uh, chapter 7. And remember that uh, the second to last verse in that chapter is here on your handout. I kind of ended with this. You know, <laughs> if this is true, wretched, wretched man that I am, uh, admission of guilt, wretched man that I am, 
who will deliver me from this body of death? Um, will I remain wretched? Will I remain dead? Will there be no deliverance? Um, and, and hopefully you know the answer that um, there is. But before I get to that, I want to talk about sort of a, a concept, you know, sort of just to, to keep picking up on this idea in terms of the relationship uh, with God. Um, the main question in terms of relationship with God post Genesis chapter 3, okay, if you remember that. If you have never read it before, go back and read Genesis chapters 1 through 4. But, uh, but particularly focus on Genesis chapter 3. This is the sort of human dilemma, is that if this is God, um, and this is a person, humanity, you and me, um, the, the question is, if we're deeply fallen and spiritually dead, and uh, uh, God is perfectly righteous, how can we stand before God? How, how can we stand before God? And I've given you a couple of verses here that sort of express this idea. Uh, one is from Psalm 130, where the psalmist says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, you know, my wretchedness, if you should, if you should take note of that, um, uh, O Lord, who could stand? Who, who could stand before thee? Martin Luther, I put it on, your back, on the back side if you want to flip it over real quick. Martin Luther wrote a, uh, a hymn at the very bottom there. It says, From the Depths of Woe, based on Psalm 130. Just look at this first uh, verse. He says, uh, so this is really based on one, Psalm 130. From the depths of woe, I raise to thee a voice of lamentation. Lord, turn a gracious ear to me and hear my supplication. If thou iniquities dost mark our secret sins and misdeeds dark, O who shall stand before thee? Uh, if you're paying attention uh, to all this badness, who in the world can stand before you if you're perfectly righteous? Um, uh, and here's another expression of it back on page one uh, from Ezra. This is after uh, Israel had been in uh, exile in Babylon and come back. And by the way, they, they'd gone into exile in Babylon because God sent them there because of the nation's iniquities and allows them to come back to Jerusalem. And Ezra's uh, the guy who, um, who helps rebuild the city, okay? And he's praying to God. And at the end of his prayer, he says, O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, and none can stand before you because of this. Um, uh, uh, we, we can't stand before you uh, without your justice, without your intervention. Something has to come between us and God uh, to, to mediate us because we cannot stand before him alone. Remember what happened in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall. Adam, can you see this while you're sort of craning your neck? Sorry. Remember what Adam and Eve do? After they eat the fruit and they're tempted by Satan, they, they hide in the bushes and they cover themselves with fig leaves because they can no longer stand before God in nakedness. The end of chapter two says they were naked and it didn't matter, right? I mean, uh, as Andrew said in his sermon today at nine, and you'll hear it at 11, they were in the light in front of God. and It didn't matter at all because there was the fall had not happened. 
But as soon as the fall happened, they hide in the dark, in the bushes, and they cover themselves with a real flimsy covering of fig leaves, right? Um, because they're realizing we need mediation between us and God. He, he cannot, um, he can no longer uh, see us in our nakedness. As a matter of fact, we see the first glimpse of the good news when God does what at the end of chapter three? He says, your fig leaves are too flimsy. I will kill an animal and skin it and make a new garment for you, which is the sort of, it's a sort of first instance of, of this idea of him providing the mediation, the covering, a uh, sort of prefigurement of who Jesus Christ was, the lamb slaughtered so that uh, through him we could be covered in his, his blood and righteousness. And so here's a, a passage that I like to point to in explaining this concept from uh, Exodus uh, uh, chapter 33, and uh, Moses is uh, encountering uh, Yahweh out there in the wilderness, and he says to him, I'd, I'd like to see your glory, God. I'd like to fully see you. And God says, you cannot, but I'm going to do something for you instead. Now let's read that here there on the, toward the bottom of page one. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, uh, so God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. Now what's happening here uh, is that Moses wants to, you know, see, you know, he wants to go back to Genesis chapter two, right? Um, And God says that is not possible. If we do that, um, um, unless I do something about it, you will actually die uh, because I'm fully righteous. You're not. And uh, my glory uh, cannot stand that, and it will just sort of annihilate you. Um, And so here's what I'm going to do for you, okay, Moses, is there's a cave, and I'm going to put you inside of it, and the the entrance to the cave I will cover. You're going to be fully covered when I go by, actually, so that this won't happen. Basically, this is an I, this is a sort of understanding of how what what Jesus Christ has done for us, that Jesus is the rock uh, inside which we hide ourselves. You know, uh, build your house on the rock and not the the sand, right? Um, and the Old Testament is full of language like this, of how God is is actually that rock. Uh, the, the solid ground on which we stand and inside of which we hide. Uh, just look at <clears throat> this verse from Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This is another Martin Luther hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. Psalm 18. Not only is he a cave where he puts the hand over, it's a, he's a, a fortress, a stronghold, my deliverer, because I cannot stand before him 
by myself. I need deliverance. Who will deliver me? Uh, Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am without the cave. Who will uh, deliver me and uh, provide the, the sort of intervention? Um, are, you, are you following me so far? Um, uh, what else do I want to say about that? Anything? Um, the other thing I want to say about that <clears throat> is... Uh, is that uh, you ever hear people say, uh, um, do you have a, how, how do, I always forget, uh, how do people say it exactly? You have a, 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 a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How does that phrase go that people say? Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Or I have a personal saving relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Do you, do you have a personal relationship with God? Well, I want to tell you that every single person has a personal relationship with God, Okay. It's either one of two things. It's either this or this. <laughs> There's nothing in between. It's either this. It's either a bad one. Um, and, it, and, you know, you might say, well, golly, it's not my fault. You know, I wasn't there in the garden. Well, neither could you pick your parents, right, or your grandparents or the city you were born in. You're, 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 uh, you're going furthest back. Your grandparents created this mess, and we've inherited it. So much so that God says you were there in the garden. So you either have a personal relationship with God that is unmediated uh, and therefore problematic, highly problematic, or you have a personal relationship with God that is mediated uh, with the fortress, the rock, the deliverer. Okay, Um, And so uh, that's a lot of Old Testament stuff. As I said, this sort of prefigures... What Jesus Christ. So what's the point? When I when I um, so I converted to Christianity in my 20s, and the hardest thing, I studied this stuff for years, and the hard, the biggest conundrum is I, and nobody could really give me a good answer for a while. Why did Jesus Christ have to die on the cross? Like I just didn't get it, and nobody could explain it very well. What does all this have to do with Jesus? Why did he have to die? I'm like, and I don't. I'm not, it sounds like this looks like a, a gimmick. I'm not. Uh, why did he have to die on the cross? <laughs> I didn't plan that. Okay, uh, what, it, the, this is the this is the operation of the cross, and not only that, the resurrection and the ascension. All of this sort of gives you a, a type and shadow, a shadow and an echo of what was to come uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, and even in Genesis chapter three, uh, God says that when He's uh, pronouncing His curses on uh, on the serpent. Um, you know, he says, uh, you, you will strike the heel of the woman and she will uh, crush your, and her offspring will crush your head. Uh, alluding to the future day, uh, not her, not, neither Cain nor Abel, but uh, a, a later son, the future generation, uh, who's Jesus Christ. And so if you flip on the, <clears throat> the back side, um, uh, I'll give you... Um, some scripture uh, verses from the New Testament, which sort of explain this idea. Um, So this is Romans uh, chapter 5. Paul explaining what this is all about and what this has to do with Jesus. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's so much going on here. Um, uh, uh, that that uh, we are weak. We can't climb the ladder at all. Um, that's an explanation of uh, the, the sinfulness and, and being dead and unrighteous. Um, there, there is no such thing as a righteous person except for Jesus Christ himself. Um, and uh, people will scarcely die for another person in the world, but God showed his love so much that Jesus died for, for the unrighteous. So he says actually here, the ungodly. Uh, um, isn't that a great phrase that Christ died for the ungodly? This is a description of us. Uh, since we have therefore now been justified in his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Um, that the, 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 the blood is like the rock um, that, that covers us. Um, and the other thing that you have to accept, to accept all that I'm talking about, and this is so countercultural in the last 200 years, but even more so now, is the idea that God has something called wrath. Um, and, uh, um, and that's what this is all about is, is the unmediated, uh, description that, um, God just can't stand unrighteousness it has nothing to do, you know, don't take it personally. It's just who you are. Uh, you know, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is sort of what God says, you know, I mean, like, uh, it just, it, uh, he's fully righteous and you're not, you know, and, um, and, and that's a description of, of wrath. That it's actually, if you think about it, it's a just thing, though. I mean, that's justice. He's dealing with the unrighteousness of the world, and we just happen to be infected by it. Um, uh, and so, but, but God doesn't leave it there. You know, he doesn't leave his wrath. Uh, he knows about it. He understands himself better than we do. And says, that's why he tells Moses, you don't get it. <laughs> that's why I need to put you inside of this cave and, and cover the opening. Um, and so Paul, uh, here's a very great uh, uh, line of scripture that's worth memorizing where Paul explains um, further what's happening here from 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The other thing that's happening here is not only is it a covering of the blood, it's an exchange. Do you see what's happening here? Made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. He gives us his righteousness and takes his sin upon himself. There's an exchange happening. Um, and here's a... Um, ran out of paper. Um, here's a, a helpful uh, term to understand all that I'm talking about. Have you ever heard this before? Imputation. To impute, if you're a lawyer, you've probably, how many of you are a lawyer? You've probably heard this before. You can either impute on someone innocence or guilt. Um, it means to, to um, declare, to pronounce on someone uh, an attribute, whether they have it or not. As a matter of fact, they might not have it. And that applies to both us and to him, that God through Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness to us so that when he looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And we in turn impute our sinfulness onto him to take the weight of the world. And that's uh, what's uh, sort of happening 
here on on the cross. Final verse, uh, I've given you Romans chapter 7, verse 24. A wretched man that I am, who uh, will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, Romans doesn't end there, thankfully. And actually, chapter 8 comes next. Hear what comes right after that, after the sort of crescendo of the description of the sinfulness of humanity in Romans chapters 1 through 7. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Life in this, uh, what's going on here? That's a heading. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done uh, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Uh, Thanks be to God uh, uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can either have a, an unmediated relationship or a mediated relationship. There's, if, if, it's, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation because this is, this is what's happened. And um, <clears throat> I've given you imputation as a fancy theological term that is a great one to wrap your mind around. The other thing to think about is that this is, uh, this is a, a message of grace. Uh, and grace means gift. That it's a gift that's given uh, to us. Another uh, way that um, uh, a friend of mine uh, who used to be the, the dean and pastor here, Paul Zoll, puts it, he calls it, it's one-way love. It's, it's one way. It doesn't, it's unrequited or it's unconditioned. I mean, the thing that's requited is our sinfulness on him. If we give anything, it's our, our death and cholesterol, you know? Uh, it's all the problem, but it's, it's, not, it's not a condition. It's not predicated on any grasping after the first rung of the ladder. It's given as a gift. And that's what grace is all about, living daring confidence in the gospel of uh, the grace of God. And the, how, does it say, how do we say that? The, um, the Advent uh, is a church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that that grace comes uh, through that message um, and uh, has the, 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 the power of, of, of freedom. <clears throat> so um, all that is a long drum roll to, uh, to look at real quickly. The Can I get a copy of the articles if there's an extra one? Can you look at, uh, if you haven't, I think you've all been here. I said that I usually make reference to at least one of the articles. Um, this term came up when we were looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, is justification, which is so three theological terms today, okay? Imputation, grace, and justification. Uh, let's look at articles together, article 11 from the 39 Articles of Religion. And hopefully all that I've said helps you to understand what's being talked about here. Um, it is, so this is justification. It is not because of any good works or deservings on our part, but only by faith, which rests on the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we are accounted righteous before God. Therefore, the doctrine of our justification by faith alone, is most edifying and full of strength and comfort. And then they just sort of uh, give a footnote on some other document. Let me just read that again. Uh, you know, think about this. Uh, 
imputed righteousness, the gift of grace, um, if this is a legal courtroom, uh, are we just, or is, 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 our, is our stance before God justified or not? There's a show, Holly and I have been watching, um, I forget, the FX network, but we were watching it on, on Netflix called Justified. It's about this lawman in, in Kentucky. He starts by saying, because he, he kills a guy in the first episode, uh, he says that killing was justified. Um, Meaning the other guy was drawing on him, you know, that, 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 that it was okay, right? If we're in a, and, and he was a, you know, he's being brought up on charges about this. So that if we're in a courtroom, are we justified before him or not? Justification, okay? It is not because of any good works or deservings on our part, but only by faith, which rests in, on, on the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we are counted righteous before God. Therefore, the doctrine of our justification by faith alone is most edifying and full of strength and comfort. Uh, that this should be, uh, at the end of the day, a comforting message. Uh, that it's not up to us. That it's been given a gift. Um, and so, uh, my message to you today is: uh, maybe you've never heard this stuff before. You know, maybe you've been going to church all your life, and plenty of churches don't talk this way. I remember what I said when I was coming to faith for years. Nobody told me this stuff. Uh, I don't know why, because they themselves didn't buy into it. Nobody talked to me about the blood of the cross. Uh, if nobody's talked to you about this ever before in a long time, uh, th- know that this is a message that is um, of eternal importance. It's a free gift and hopefully one full of comfort, great comfort and providing strength, not because of our own strength, but it strengthens us. Um, that to know where we're headed in terms of e- eternal life and that it's a gift. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a difference between the way my um, grandmother used to open a gift and the way my four-year-old opens a gift. My grandmother used to save the wrapping paper, you know, and open it like this. My four-year-old just tears it apart, you know, and wants to get in there. Be like my daughter Zoe and open that gift of the, the, the free grace <laughs> like a, you're a four-year-old, you know. Uh, suffer the children to come to me, you know. Be a child on Christmas morning when it, when it comes uh, to this, uh, this gift and open it and, and accept it. Um, well, that's my word uh, to you. Um, before I forget, I uh, bring in a book recommendation every time. Uh, I'm recommending this one. It says more than all that I've talked about, but um, this is a book called Core Christianity by Michael Horton, um, which uh, is a good uh, primer to Christian faith. Uh, he calls all that I've talked about the drama of uh, of the Christian faith, and out of that drama comes the doctrine, ideas like justification, grace, imputation, and others. And based on that doctrine, uh, we should, in the convincing of that message inside of us, we naturally want to become disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, to, to follow him more and more. And that, that's the, the, the final word in that identity statement, remember, or the purpose statement of the Advent, is to make disciples wherever God has placed us. Well, any um, thoughts, questions about all that I've said about the gospel of grace? I would say this. Definitely spearheads pretty well with what Dean Pearson just went through with John 3.16 and 3.17. Yeah. Let's keep saying more for those who maybe haven't been to the 9 o'clock. Sure. <laughs> um, so I mean, you get into justification. I mean, that's, you know, in Christ, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
Therefore, who shall not perish but have eternal life? God did not. I'm gonna mess up three seventeen here. Not God did not come here to condemn us. Right. Well, I'll read it. I'll read it exactly. But to say, right. Um, and so, therefore, who shall ever believe in Him shall have eternal life. I mean, which is you know basically faith, which rests on the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we're kind of righteous before God, having the the rock around us is what gets us that. Is there anything to be said about us all being in this condition together? And yeah, say more about that. Yeah. Well, I'm, it's, it's a question, like, what is your comment? But um, you know, we're together in the situation in the church, and maybe we feel like we can help each other, but it really comes down to that, that personal yeah. It's a gift to us individually, not you sure. Know, you go to this church or, or you pray together with other people all the time and we can help each other get there. But. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, please don't leave here. Th- uh, um, in order to explain this concept, I feel like I've got to explain it on individual terms. But it has some, there's, like I said at the beginning of this lesson, the gospel is much more robust than this. That this is a very central explanation of all that has to do with the gospel. But we cannot, we cannot live as Christians alone. We cannot. The world is, is against this message. Uh, we need each other. We need to hear this message initially from someone else. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the, uh, the word of Christ. Uh, it has to come from someone else. And not only that, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his um, book Life Together explains towards the beginning when he's talking about justification. It's like somewhere around page 17, if you have that book. Uh, there's two pages there that are great where he says, the Christian community, the church, is a place where the brother and sister tell each other about this message over and over again because we need to hear it all the time. Not just Sunday morning, but that's why we need to live in community. We cannot be lone rangers. Uh, we, we need each other. Which is another thing I'll say You know, here at the Inquirer's class. Um, um, I really commend the idea of membership to you. Uh, um, uh, uh, since we're here at the Advent, join the Advent, you know. Um, but if this isn't working for you, join a church, um, <clears throat> which again is another countercultural idea because we just aren't joiners anymore when it comes to institutions. But the reason I say that is because um, uh, joining the church commits you to it in terms of membership. And as soon as we start to disappoint you, and we will, um, inevitably, because we're sinners li- living together in community. What happens in the 21st century, and this started to happen decades ago, is, is Americans were consumerists. So when we're disappointed, what do we do? Well, we, we make a pilgrimage across town, right, to, to another church, and we're there for three years, and then they disappoint us, and we go somewhere else. It's totally missing the point. We need each other, we need to commit. Uh, and, 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 uh, uh, and, and, and if you think people are going to disappoint you, you're going to disappoint them, you know, and thank God that they're sticking around. Um, and, and, and we need to hear this message over and over again. I hope that sort of answers what you're saying. Yeah. So it's more about reminding each other versus like whether I'm good to be around or not. Yeah. Have y'all thought about the small groups? Yeah, small groups is a great way to, 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 to do that. Fontaine's our small group director. It's such a big place. It's, yeah, um, it strikes the church and kind yeah. of all that another good way. Everybody, 
everybody else's food, right? And we're doing the Lent lunches now, but what if we've been here ten years and what we just discovered this year is there's breakfast here every Every Sunday, I know it's incredible. It's really good. It's cheap, and you're gonna probably sit with somebody different every time. Yeah. And it's just another great way to shrink things down and get to know folks. Also, and I'll say, you know, added to that, to get to to make the message more robust before you leave, that we cannot ultimately live in community without the gospel. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce gives this great image of hell. I don't know if this is exactly true, right? It's an allegory. But have you read it before? What's the image of hell? People live further and further. Napoleon lives 5,000 miles away from Hitler, right? You know what I mean? It's just, and it's totally an idea that, that if without the gospel, the redemption, which is the community of the Godhead, giving us this love so we can live in community with him, uh, so that not only that are we reconciled with God, we begin to be reconciled with each other. You know, it's so much easier to live... Uh, a life of forgiveness and love, if you understand that we love because he first loved us. This isn't ultimately an individual message, although uh, I've sort of packaged it like that. It has so much to do with uh, communal relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and, and, and with those who've also been redeemed by him. Well, uh, next time, is it Doug Webster coming in to talk about uh, Christian life? Mark Janelle is going to talk about scripture. Um, and uh, why we could look to it um, uh, nowadays as an authoritative document um, uh, and, and not just some uh, historical piece of literature, but something that has power over our lives. Before we leave, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for um, sending your son, uh, who knew no sin, um, to take on our sin for us and giving us your righteousness lord help us uh, uh, day by day to to come to know and live in light of this message more and more um, and uh, help us uh, uh, to receive it if, if we have not received it yet lord uh, yes and amen um, but give us reminders uh, daily through others in our community that we might hear this freeing word all these things for the sake of jesus christ amen, amen. amen.